trafficking is happening right now. It kills me to think this way, but I remind myself of this all the time. Right at this very moment, someone is being abused. Someone is being trafficked and held against their will and forced to do these terrible things that are so damaging to their body and their soul and their mind is happening right now. And it could be happening to your neighbor. It could be happening to your niece. It could be happening to anybody that you know. Like it's very possible that you just don't know that this is happening, that I am on watch.org, the training. If people could please take the training because it shows real situations with survivors' stories. And it tells the signs that could have been seen and where people could have intervened. Has your life, your dreams been interrupted? Good news. It is possible to reinvent our lives. People are doing it every day. And some are brave enough to share the struggles, disappointments, and challenges. If you are looking for a new beginning, a do-over, or to rediscover your passion, maybe even find a new one, then grab a cup of coffee and let's talk. Interrupted, Act 2, Reinventing Your Legacy, with your host, Coach Lori. Julie Whitehead, she is the author of Shadowed, How I Became the Sex Trafficked Mother Next Door. Julie, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I absolutely love you and love to be on your show. I am so impressed with your story because you are so willing to share it and it's not an easy story. And so you started out by working with a foundation and creating modules on how to raise awareness. And now you've written a book. I always like to start with where your life is now. I love it that we talked about this a little bit because it would be really fun to go, I have a fabulous life, but life is still hard. But tell us about your life and what you're doing now to help this cause. I definitely feel like I'm still in the very middle of my healing process. Like I have not come through it and come out the other side yet. I'm definitely in the middle somewhere. I spend a lot of time in therapy, almost six days a week, which is a lot. In between therapy, I try to work with this foundation called the Maloof Foundation. And they were really instrumental in me feeling like I could come home from Boston, which was where I was in treatment for six years almost. When I learned about them, I felt like, oh, that's amazing. There's a force for good in Utah where I live. And there's this army of people trying to fight sex trafficking and exploitation. And I just felt like, okay, I can go home and exist with knowing there's this army here to help. And so I've been working with them. Mostly I just share my story, try to build awareness. I think that's my number one goal with everything I've done so far is to build awareness around sex trafficking in particular, but also other abuses, domestic violence, childhood sexual abuse, any type of exploitation try to help raise funds to that will go 100% to helping survivors. Yeah, I wrote a book to create awareness and the feedback that I've gotten is just so many people are shocked and stunned really that this is happening right in their area that they live. A lot of people that have talked to me were like, oh my gosh, I lived a couple blocks from where you lived when this happened. This is happening just in average neighborhoods and 
everywhere. The awareness piece is really huge. That's what I'm trying to do is just keep creating that awareness and helping people learn what to do if they should run into it or happen to see it. It is so important for people to read your story, to know that this could be happening. And through the Maloof Foundation, the I'm on Watch videos that you have a module in helps people to kind of know what to look for and what to do. So I really want to promote that training. But can you just take us back and tell us your story? It's kind of hard to know where to start. I've actually endured about 31 years of near constant abuse. Of course, I didn't realize it at the time. That was just life to me. It's only been since I've been out of it and had a fresh perspective and looked back that I'm like, oh my gosh, my life was just kind of chaos and awful for 30 years. That's hard to even process. But when When I was 30, I was trafficked for sex throughout the Western states and even into Mexico. He showed up in the form of a father of one of my preschool students. So who would ever guess? Seemed like a really nice guy, like a normal guy. I was going through a really bad divorce with my ex-husband, who I had been married to for almost 12 years. That relationship was abusive. He got arrested for domestic violence, and this father from the preschool came in and filled the gap, and he was like, I'll be here for you. I know that you're going through some hard times. Just felt like really almost a guardian angel that had just plopped down in my life and was all of a sudden there and was helping me feel safe when my ex-husband was still stalking me, even though I had a protective order. Just felt like this amazing person and oh how quickly he changed after he got comfortable with me I got comfortable with him for a couple weeks and then it just flipped he became so abusive and controlling and I ended up having to take these trips is what he called them to different states where he would traffic me and I didn't know what was happening to me I used to say like why are you sharing me with people and he would laugh in my face and he's like yeah I'm sharing you with people But I didn't have the words for sex trafficking. I didn't even really know what that was. That's a big reason, too, that I want to create awareness is that I myself, a victim of it, was in the middle of it and didn't even know what it was. We really have a long way to go in realizing that this is going on out there and what it looks like, what it actually looks like. Prior to that happening, I was in that abusive relationship for about 12 years. When I was a kid, I was sexually abused by my father. And I mentioned those things. They're all kind of separate abuses, but it all kind of ties in together. The thing to note is that the more abuse that you have or the different forms of abuse that you have create vulnerabilities in you. So like my childhood abuse created vulnerabilities that then I was more susceptible to be in a bad marriage and abusive relationship. And that made me more susceptible to being trafficked. And so yeah, it's just kind of a terrible road that it led me down. I love it that you are so open that you didn't know what it was because I've worked with homeless women and often they've said, do I have kick me written on my forehead? And I would say to them, oh, honey, you do because you don't know how to love yourself because of that patterning and the early abuse. One thing that people will say a lot when someone's in domestic violence, why don't they just leave? Can you talk about that? It's funny, almost in a terrible way. When I was in that relationship, there were movies that came out. One I remember in particular with Jennifer Lopez, I think it was called Enough. I would always be on the couch like screaming, leave, why don't you leave? What's wrong with you? 
And here I was in the middle of it. <laughs> so it's so ironic. It's kind of like a subtle thing. I don't know. It's not really even that subtle because mine was pretty obvious. But you're in a relationship. You've built a family with this person. You have children. For me, there were a lot of threats. Like, if you ever leave me, I'll take the kids. You won't see them again. I'll tell your parents all these terrible things about you in the neighborhood and everybody will know. So it was really a mind control thing. And I've, I've told people with my trafficking situation, it was even worse. He was very, I'll kill your family. I'll, I'll hurt your children. Like, he was very violent. I've told people the mental chains they have on you are actually worse than when I was physically tied up. Like I'd rather be physically tied up than have those mental chains because they're just so hard to break. With my trafficker, we went to the police station once and he was talking to an officer that he was friends with. And I'm standing there in the lobby of a police station with my trafficker. And I'm like, this is nuts. Why don't I just say something? But he had promised me that if I did that, he would hurt my kids. He would, of course, hurt me, that it would all be worse for me. And yeah, I believed it. The truth is you'd witnessed it. I've heard women say, if I leave, he will do this. And people are like, no, he won't. But you don't know that because you have witnessed the horrendous things. That's what outsiders that want to step in and say, oh, just do this. They don't understand. There really is a level of fear there because of what you have witnessed. It, they're not idle threats. Yeah, exactly. I saw my trafficker beat a woman up. I saw a little bit of him hitting her. So he was left alone with this other woman. And I was taken to be trafficked and abused. And I came back and she was wrapped up in a blanket head to toe in the back cab of his truck. She appeared to me by all accounts to be dead. And he had blood on his hands, blood on the steering wheel. I mean, yeah, seeing that, I don't know if I've had somebody tell me maybe that was just a staged thing to scare you. And I'm like, maybe, but it worked. Like whatever it was, it worked. I believed he was capable of murder. You had mentioned this before, which I'd never thought of is not only did he threaten your kids, that's a huge burden to carry to think, man, if I go for my freedom, my family is going to suffer. Yeah. I mean, you feel so selfish. Like, yes, I want out of this with everything in me, but at what cost? I'm not willing to sacrifice my kids. And there's no one to talk to. No, you're so isolated. It really begins to play like mind games with yourself. You start to doubt your own reality. You start to doubt your own decisions and your own mind. And they're feeding you full of information. Like he told me, you'll be arrested if you go to the police because you're doing all of this stuff and it's against the law and you'll be in as much trouble as I would be in. I believed that. I didn't have any other perspectives to give me any ideas. I only had his input. At first, I might have been like, no, you're wrong. But then the longer I sat in the back of his truck while he's trafficking me, I come to believe what he says, or at least enough so that I doubt myself. And when you feel hopeless, it's hard to have any kind of action. Yeah, you definitely start Start to feel like you're in a completely hopeless situation and you're completely at his mercy, you start doing other things. Like I focus my attention on how do I keep him happy with me so that he doesn't. My biggest fear was not that he would take me somewhere because that was a given, but that he would leave me somewhere. That was a horrifying prospect to me. I knew him. I knew what he was capable of. That was scary enough, but I felt like I guess the known end me is less scary 
scary than the unknown enemy. I was so terrified that he wouldn't come back that I would actually, it's really twisted, but after I would be abused and he would walk back into the room to come collect me, I was relieved. I'm like, oh, there he is. Thankfully, he can take me home. This is the man that brought me there. Like, that's so messed up. But it just messes with your mind. When I think about how you as an adult could barely process it, think about these children that can't make sense of it. And we know that there are kids living in their own home being trafficked and their parents have no clue. Yeah, there are. There's many of them. And people would think, well, just go tell your parents. But the mind games are so, they're experts at what they do. They don't choose the really confident child that's going to do that and report everything to their parent. They know what they're looking for. I always say the wounded gazelle, that term is just so perfect because my trafficker chose me because I had just come out of a broken, damaged, abusive relationship for 12 years. I'm sure he didn't know right off that I had been abused as a child, but he probably had his suspicions. He knew what he he was looking for. I was the perfect victim. These children are no different. They're going to pick the child that maybe is withdrawn or has some sort of trauma or something going on in their lives. These aren't the kids that are going to stick up for themselves, typically. And that's why it's so important for our communities to be watching out. Your story amazes me that you were brave enough to tell somebody you needed help after people had driven by, witnessed him hurting you on the freeway, dragging you by the hair, never stop. Can you tell us about how you got rescued? It's really just happenstance. A lot of factors came into I was feeling it was completely hopeless. Coach Lori here. I am not anti-aging. I am all about aging gracefully. Did you know we stopped making collagen at a certain age? And did you know powdered collagen has to go through your whole digestive system? So I am a big fan of Glow Liquid Collagen. It helps me age gracefully inside and out. To order, check the link below. By the way, if you order two at the same time, free shipping. Or if you would like to be an affiliate, make a little extra cash. Click the affiliate link. It's really just happenstance. A lot of factors came into I was feeling it was completely hopeless. I don't know if this was necessarily true or not, but I felt like I was getting to the end of my term with my trafficker and that he was going to need to get rid of me. I had it in my head that I was probably going to be killed. That played a factor. I think I my hopelessness was just at a point where I, it's not that I didn't care anymore, especially about protecting my kids anymore. I just felt like I couldn't do it anymore. I was just kind of at the end of my rope. My trafficker told me that he would like to purchase the truck that he was driving. He worked for a trucking company. He wanted to purchase his truck and he wanted me to meet with his employer to finalize the sale of this vehicle. He kind of implied if I did that, if I was successful, that he might let me go. I don't know how much I believed him on that, but it gave me a little pearl of hope. I I didn't really have a choice. He told me I was doing it and so I was. He gave me his employer's phone number. I reached out to him and made an appointment to meet him for breakfast to discuss this truck. Well, that was his idea. I just said I needed to talk to him about the truck. And he's like, let's talk about this in person. Let's meet for breakfast. And I told my trafficker and he was like, yeah, do whatever you have to do. Because normally he'd be like really furious if I was talking to another man or talking to anybody actually, but especially another man. But he wanted me to make this still happen. He said, 
sent me off to the meeting, his employer that I met with, he, from the get go, I could tell that he had suspicions that something was up. Well, I know I was acting in a way that was kind of giving off signs that I was not okay. Like I wasn't making eye contact and I was really timid and shy and looking around myself the whole time and kind of just really nervous and agitated. We talked for a little bit. He tried to put me at ease. And then he finally just said, what's really going on? I don't really believe your story. I don't think that this is all on the up and up, like, tell me what's happening. And I was so blown away. I wasn't prepared for that. For some reason, I let my guard down enough. I started crying and he's like, okay, really tell me what's going on. And I couldn't tell him everything. There was no way I could get myself to do that. But I did say I was in an abusive relationship with his employee, which we were never in a relationship, but that's just kind of the only way I knew how to describe it. He said, well, is it dangerous? Do you need help? And I shook my head. Yes. And he's like, okay, I'm going to be by your side. Like I'm going to help you get out of this and we're going to get you free and safe. That is the start of how I got free. And I'm sure there were other people that saw me that had that same gut feeling, but they didn't do anything about it. And I don't blame them because I've probably had that gut feeling before too, and haven't done anything. If you don't know what to do, you don't know what to do. He's my husband now, the man that rescued me. (laughs) He hadn't been through any formal training or anything, but he just followed his gut. Yeah, he just followed his gut and knew that something was wrong and took action to help me. And that's how I got free. What was the next few hours like? Yeah, it was really tense, super tense. I've never been so nervous in my life. I left the meeting with, his name is Barry. I met left that meeting with him and he had said, I'm going to tell your trafficker that the deal is off. I'm not going to let him buy the truck because the $6,000 down payment was something I had collected from my parents, which in itself was a whole long story because I was not speaking to them. So he said, I'll tell him that I'm not accepting the money because it doesn't come from him. I was so scared because I didn't know what the consequences would be. Is my trafficker going to blame me? What will he do to me because of this and the people I love? Somehow Barry was influential enough and kind of intimidating enough to my trafficker when he told him that that he didn't accept the payment and that he wasn't going to sell him the truck. The trafficker blamed him and not me, which was so just lucky. My trafficker came home. He had gotten me an apartment that I was living in that was under his name because I had left my ex-husband, so I didn't have anywhere to stay. So my trafficker got me an apartment. He came to the apartment that night and he's like, no, the deal's off. He won't sell it to me. And he didn't blame me, which was amazing. But he did find out a couple days later that Barry was helping me. Barry's idea was that we would move me from the apartment quickly as possible. And I actually slept on Barry's couch for a few nights so that he knew I was safe. So yeah, it was really complicated. We moved out of the apartment. I actually moved in with my parents for short term. That wasn't really the healthiest, but it was safe, safer. Even after Barry and I got married and we were living, of course, in our house together, my trafficker still stalked me for three years. I had to get two stalking injunctions, both a civil and a criminal against him. And it worked. Like he was stalking me. He was keeping the pressure on me. He would show up at places. I'd be at the store and there he'd be on the aisle across from me. And I'd just be absolutely terrified. 
and have to ask the managers to walk me to my car. He kept me in fear for a good three years, trying to keep the pressure on so that I didn't tell the story. And it worked. I didn't tell the story. I just said that I had been in an abusive relationship with him. I didn't tell Barry that I had been trafficked. Well, I didn't have the words that I had been trafficked until I went through therapy. And that's where that kind of all came out. So how long after that did you end up getting in therapy? I married Barry in June. I got free from my trafficker in March. I married Barry in June. He stalked us for three years, but I lived, I call it my best life for five years. Like it's, it's really sad for most people. It would have been the worst time of their life because I was fighting against my trafficker for stalking and being scared all the time. And I was in a horrible, horrible, like they, my lawyer told me the worst they'd ever seen custody battle for my kids because I had actually lost custody of them during my trafficking situation for a year And so I was trying to get them back. But despite all of that, I lived like what was my best life. I was finally free of abusers. Like I hadn't been free of abusers ever. Life was the best it had ever been. I was with Barry and he was loving and kind and protective. Five years into it, I started getting so sick, just having like all these symptoms. I'd go to doctors and they'd say, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but you have all the signs and symptoms of colon cancer or stomach cancer or MS, or I can't remember all of the diagnosis. And then they'd run all their invasive tests and come out to find that I was fine. So it became very apparent to us that it was in my mind, like not in my mind, but in my psychology and my emotional well-being, my mental state that needed the help and the therapy. And so that's when I finally went. Wow. From all that you've been through. I just see you so brave on so many levels, asking for help and then going to counseling because often that's hard. Like I've made it through. Now you want me to go to counseling? Yeah. Counseling was hard. I mean, I'm still in it. It's it's the hardest thing I've ever done. I know it sounds really weird, but I say that it's harder than actually surviving the abuse and the trauma itself. Because when I was being trafficked, I had two choices, give in or survive. My choice was always to fight and survive. I did whatever it took to do that. And that was my sole goal is to survive. In therapy, you finally come out of the abuse. Like you say, now you want me to go back and remember it in detail. Like that sounds horrible. And it was horrible. It is horrible still, but it's the only way through it. Like that is the way to go right through the middle of the trauma. And there's a lot of ways to try to go around the corner or around the edges of it. They don't work, at least not for me. They didn't work. I just kept being sucked down and pulled down emotionally and mentally. Going right through the middle is the only thing. That's what I needed to do. It's been hard. I've never really felt like it was a defeat to go into therapy, but I definitely feel like it set me back. And it did. Here I am seven years into therapy and they're telling me that I'm probably halfway. And I'm just like, I just want to move on already. But my brain is and my body is not ready to move on because I still have flashbacks. And I just went on a bike ride the other day and caught myself having kind of flashbacks of being in the truck. Oh, so frustrating. I just want my brain to move on. But trauma latches on and holds on tight. It's very necessary for me. 
It sounds like with counseling, you get tools to help you when you get in those situations, but also it gave you the language to be able to actually share your story. Yeah, for sure. Helped me realize, I mean, when, (laughs) when I first went into therapy, they had me fill out a sheet about like my past, my history with my family. And I was writing these answers. And then all of a sudden I had this kind of moment where I'm like, I am writing lies. I am just writing lies. Like I've told myself my whole life that I have had this perfect childhood and I was writing that on paper and then I realized that's not true at all. Yeah, it let me open my eyes and know what I already knew. And what was it like for you when you recognized, oh my goodness, this wasn't a boyfriend or relationship, it was a trafficker. And then you had to tell Barry, what was that like? That was tough. That wasn't fun. It was bad enough that I was in this quote unquote relationship with this person that had been abusive. Oh, I just remember we were in Tennessee at the time I was in treatment there. It was like late at night. And I said, I've got to tell you some things, but I don't want to just like sit in the kitchen and tell you, can we go for a drive? And like, I'll tell you on the way just seemed easier to be doing something. We went on this drive and I'm like, here's the story. Like this is This is the reality of what I went through. And I told him, I think we drove for three hours straight, just back and forth along this road. And I told him the whole story and talk about an amazing man. I can only imagine how hard that was for him to hear. And I could imagine being like, this is too much. Like I'm out. This is, this is more than I signed up for. But yeah, he heard it. He heard it all, listened to it and said, wow, like that's a crazy story. And that's just a terrible reality. But he was happy to know the reality. And then we could go forward with that mutual understanding of the truth and deal with it. He was kind of instrumental in getting you hooked up with the Maloof Foundation, right? He was completely. Yeah. He was on a business golf outing and one of the holes was sponsored by the Maloof Foundation. He met them and then he came back and told me, oh, Julie, there's this place like this is amazing. There's this place that's fighting. It's funny. People read the book and they're like, that's insane all the things you went through and I I tell him I didn't even put it all in there like I didn't even put it all in the book most of it for sure the big parts my story is so complex I never know when to start and when to end well of course you know I've said it a hundred times I think you're so brave and stories matter and stories change lives and so you're so brave for sharing your story what is it that you really want people to know i want people to know that trafficking is happening right now it kills me to think this way but i I remind myself of this all the time like right at this very moment someone is being abused someone is being trafficked and held against their will and forced to do these terrible things that are so damaging to their body and their soul and their mind is happening right now. And it could be happening to your neighbor. It could be happening to your niece. It could be happening to anybody that you know. Like, it's very possible that you just don't know that this is happening. You mentioned it earlier that I am on watch.org, the training. If people could please take the training 
because it shows real situations with survivors' stories, the signs that could have been seen and where people could have intervened. You're not going to find a better training than one that comes from survivors, and this one is all survivor-led. Once you know, you can look for it. You can't look for something you don't know what it looks like. Like, that's just an impossible ask. Become educated and then become aware. You're never, ever going to be in trouble for making a report that comes back and is nothing. You hope that's the case. That's the goal. That's the big goal is that it's nothing. You're wrong. Like that's what you want is to be wrong, but you're never going to be in trouble for reporting it. Her book is called Shadowed, How I Became the Sex Trafficked Mother Next Door. Yes, you can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can go to the maloofoundation.org. Julie, thank you so much. I'm so proud of you for A, sharing your story and B, being willing to go the the distance on counseling and do the work. Thank you. Have you heard, if not now, when? If not you, then who? Are you being prompted to write a book, to create a podcast? Check out Leaving a Legacy at www.coachlaurie, that's coach, L-A-U-R-I-E, dot com. And let's get started on your second act now. Three things we learned from Julie. Take the I'm on watch training. Trust your instinct and share your story. If you love this podcast, here's a big ask. Will you share with your friends and family? Subscribe, give us a review and a five-star rating so that others looking to reinvent their lives will be able to get the help they're looking for. Thank you in advance.